Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Rita Zoe Chin. She is the author of the widely praised memoir, Let the Tornado Come, along with being the recipient of a Catherine Ann Porter Prize, an Academy of American Poets Award, and a Breadloaf Scholarship. Her new book, her first novel, is The Strange Inheritance of Leah Fern, which is published by our friends at Melville House Publishing. Zoe, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It is an honor to have you here. And first, Zoe, how have you been doing these past few years under the ongoing social changes due to COVID-19? Has this made writing your first novel easier or harder? Or since it is your first novel, do you even know any different? <laughs> that's that's an interesting question. Um, I would say, I mean, having written a memoir, which I feel is kind of structured similarly, I mean, it's, it's very narrative driven. Uh, so... Um, I would say it was easier, actually. Um, I, there, there were a lot less distractions, and um, I could just go into my writing cave, which is what I do anyway, but without <laughs> having to make a bunch of excuses to people and apologies. So, um, you know, in my case, it, it actually worked out well. Yeah, yeah I've found yeah. in um, the many interviews I've done over these past couple of years that most of the time writers lives have not changed at all um you know just because you know being in a room uh writing in front of a screen is just um you know what you're doing anyway so very interesting thank you zoe uh, let's now dive into this excellent novel the strange inheritance of leah fern i'm hoping that you can take a couple of minutes here to set this novel up for our listeners um sure sure so uh the novel revolves around I mean, the Leah Fern, who uh, was born with um, the gift slash curse, I would say, of being an extreme empath. So, you know, we, we all have some degree of empathy, some of us more than others. Um, and she has it all the way on the the, the far end of the, the spectrum. So um, when she's in close proximity to somebody, she really knows what's going on in, mm. inside them. Um, and uh, she's she's born into a traveling carnival life. And when she's six years old, they put her in front of a her in front of a crystal ball and deem her the youngest and very best fortune teller in the world, um, mm -hmm. which is a problem because she doesn't even really know what a fortune is. <laughs> so um, so she said, you know, she's like, well, what do I do? And, you know, luckily, she's a very imaginative child. Um, she's obsessed with elephants. And she, you know, she reads books that are, you know, for kids much older. Um, and and she, I guess you could say she's precocious. Um, but uh, it works out in her favor, because when somebody comes in, she starts reading them um, just naturally. And the conversation goes from there. And she develops very quickly a cult following. Um, and um, people come because mainly what they're wanting to know is if they're loved mm -hmm. and she can sense that. And so um, she's having a pretty good life in the carnival. Um, but then her mother abruptly abandons her uh, at, at, the, at one of her mother's friends 
homes um, in another state and she's never met the man before and she drives off and it's a brutal moment of abandonment. Um, but she says she'll be back. So Leah spends the next, you know, many years waiting for her mother to come back. And so does the man who ultimately raises her, um, who is also waiting for her mother to come back because he's madly in love with her as many, as are many people. Her mother's a magician. She's very beguiling. And, um, and uh, when Leah turns 21, she decides that she's waited long enough and she's kind of done. She kind of lives as an, a social outcast and um, she's about to leave the world. And that's kind of where the book begins. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and thank you so much, uh, Zoe. As you mentioned, much of this novel begins um, in a carnival setting. Do you have an affinity for carnivals, Zoe? And why does this setting make for a fascinating novel? Uh, <laughs> I love that question because the answer is a resounding yes. Um, mm -hmm. I do. I, um, I anybody who's read my first book, my memoir knows that I, you know, had a, a very difficult childhood. And um, one of the, you know, the nice thing about having a difficult childhood is that there are moments of joy that stand out so profoundly. And one of those mo moments for me was going to a carnival for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, I just couldn't believe that this place that is, you know, its whole mission is to just bring delight and joy and, and, but they're also a little bit raunchy and a little bit like scary too. And all of that just felt very true to me in this way that I don't know, it was, it was, it was downright ecstatic for me <laughs> as an experience. Um, and I've been, I've been really fascinated by people on the fringe and maybe because I'm, I feel sort of on the fringe myself. Um, but yeah, all, all my life and, you know, um, the whole idea of like the sideshow and, um, you know, the, 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 the performative aspects, the, the, you know, the voyeuristic aspects and, you know, and, and um, you know, the exhibitionistic aspects and how they, the interplay of those two. So, yeah, I, I think that that's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Zoe. Um, what is going on in this novel with our narrator's fascination with elephants? Mm. Um, you know, from a young age, I think I think many of us have obsessions when we're children, right? And um, hers just happens to be elephants. And it, um, sometimes it's just not even you can't even explain why you're so fascinated by something or why bird watchers spend hours watching birds or, you know, why the things that call to us call to us, but elephants certainly call to her. And I think, um, interestingly, elephants are, are known as em very empathic animals. And so I'm not surprised that, that that's, that those are the animals she gravitates toward. Um, you know, they're also led by females. And, um, you know, there, so it's, it's a matriarchal system, which, and I think this book is, is also <laughs> led by females. So, um, yeah, I, I think that she, there's something about, um, their power and, and also the fact that they, they, they need to be protected. And, um, so, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, one of our sponsors, my old bookstore, Quail Ridge Books, the owner, Lisa Poole, uh, elephants are kind of her, her pet cause, and she donates a lot of money to um, saving and protecting elephants, so she will be thrilled to hear this. Speaking of elephants, is the route on the map at the beginning of the book meant to look like an elephant's head? 
And now I have to look. No, the the wait a minute. <laughs> Let me grab my book. Yes, please do. Um, you're talking about the spiral. Yeah, to me it looks like a, an elephant with its trunk, kind of you know blowing up in the air. <laughs> it certainly does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I love that you see that. Um, no, I, I, yes, I planned that. It's exactly what <laughs> I meant. <laughs> nice. um, I know I, that's one of those happy surprises. This book has a lot of those in, in it, actually, like little mm -hmm. magical things that I realized after the fact. Um, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, That's that was great. not intentional. It's actually a Fibonacci spiral, so it's yeah. it's it's tr truly mathematical. It was plotted using the Fibonacci sequence, and so it's it's a logarithmic spiral yeah. that will always stay the same shape. Which also happens to look like an elephant's head. Well, thank it's you. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Zoe, uh, not many novels are set in South Carolina. Um, are you from South Carolina? Why set your novel there? Um, good question. I am not uh, mm. from the South, though, though I'm I'm always intrigued by the South. Um, I I have to say that some some of these kinds of questions don't have good answers because I don't know. I don't know how why her name is her name. I don't know why South Carolina. I I spend a lot of time listening and trying. <laughs> like I feel like it's being told. The story is being told to me, and I'm transcribing it um, mm. sometimes. So. Um, but when I when I came upon a town called Hilda, mm. I was like, oh, that's that's the town. And I just I you know, and I immediately you know you know Google mapped <laughs> and looked at it and um, and yeah, that was that was just the place. Great. I'm going to ask you another question about South Carolina after the break. But for now, listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor. And then I will be right back with Rita Zoe Chin. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Rita Zoe Chen, author of The Strange Inheritance of Leah Fern, which is published by our friends at Melville House. Rita, I told you I was going to ask you another question about South Carolina after the break. I attended the University of South Carolina as an undergrad, uh, where I participated in a literary journal started by my friend uh, Marcel Crickenberger. Um, I fell in love with literature at the University of South Carolina. Um, did you do much research on Columbia, South Carolina, which in my opinion is um, ripe for literary exploration or was it just a matter again of like you said um choosing a location on a map and going from there 
Um, I did, I did do I, some research. I, I did a lot of research um, writing this book. And, um, the, you know, the thing about Leah is that she didn't want to leave the state um, because mm-hmm. she was waiting for her mother to come back. And so she just commuted to college. And mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of what that that was the, the closest university to her that she could attend and still, you know, not have to go very far. Um, yeah. So th- that's but I'm curious um, why you say that now. Am I allowed to ask you questions? <laughs> it's a very interesting city. Like when I was there many years ago as an undergrad, um, the state house in Columbia, which is the state capital of South Carolina, they had the Confederate flag flying over um, the grounds. And, you know, there's just a lot of um, racial relation issues happening there. And also it's a very swampy town. It's in the middle of three rivers. It's always, you know, 100 degrees plus whatever, you know, 90% humidity or something. Um but when I moved to San Francisco, I've, I've mentioned this on this podcast before, after I graduated from the University of South Carolina, I came back to visit, uh, you know, a year or two later, and then they had compromised by moving the Confederate flag from the top of the state house onto the the grass of the state house grounds, which, you know, um, and you can imagine all of the chaos that ensued from there. So I think that there are just a lot of stories to tell in that area. Yeah, I must. I imagine the flag is no longer there. It's not. No, um, <laughs> actually, it was. Um, you know, kind of uh, when Nikki Haley was the governor of South Carolina, she decided to remove the Confederate flag, um, and then she went on to join Donald Trump's administration. So you can gather all oh, kinds of things from all of that. But like I said, lots of stories to be told. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> We will move on from there. Uh, Zoe, our protagonist, Leah Fern, um, seemingly has decided to end her life on her 21st birthday. Um, Why did she decide to do this and why plan it out as a ceremony? Mm. Um, You know, to her, she's actually been kind of fascinated by death all her life, too. And I think... You know, coming, in, you know, into awareness in a carnival setting where you know one of the the attractions was a, a place called the House of Tricks, Treats, and Creatures, and in it were jars of all sorts of dead things. Um, you know, to, you know, and uh, I think death doesn't scare Leah the way it scares most people or a lot of people, and she's just, she's ready. She doesn't feel that she has anything to really live for here. And she's ready to, to, to kind of find out if, you know, uh, like the blue oyster cult song is true. And, you know, that's the gorgeous death angel is going to come and carry her off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So nope. she, she's ready to go. She thinks, she thinks she is. And, you know, and so she's, it's something where, you know, other it, teenagers as she was growing up, you know, fantasized about their wedding days, you know, she was, she was having darker thoughts about, you know. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Understood. Um, When her mother left her, um, she left her, Leah, with a man, as you mentioned earlier, named Edward Murphy. How is the Edward Murphy of your novel different from the Eddie Murphy of Hollywood and uh, music recording fame? I, you know, I thought about this. I was like, oh, you really should just change his name. And and um, and I was like, I, but it's his name. I can't. So this goes back to your earlier, you know, 
why there? I don't know. That's because that's where it happened. Um, and that is his name. He is, is, is um, he's for one does not have the comedic talent <laughs> that the Edward Murphy or Eddie Murphy, I should say that we, we all know and love has, um, you know, he's, he's kind of um, a socially, a lot of people in this novel live kind of isolated lives, but then they all kind of band together in interesting ways. And it, and I think it's, it's a, it's a book very much about connection, human connection. Um, and, but anyway, he, he, he's kind of in love with this woman who can never be his and he, and he kind of knows it, but spends his whole life waiting for her. Um, and when, you know, um, so he's, he's, he owns a feed and seed shop. Um, yeah, nothing like Eddie Murphy, unfortunately. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> or maybe fortunately, he's his he's his own wonderful person. I would say. Absolutely, and a fantastic character. Thank you, Zoe. Um, I now want to talk about Leah's contemplation of infinity when she readied herself for sleep at night as a child. My wife Claire, uh, when she was a child, she also contemplated infinity at night but it freaked her out so that she lost sleep over it just thinking about things that never ended leah on the other hand takes comfort in the idea why do you think the contemplation of infinity can inspire both comfort and dread in young minds these are such good questions jason um thank you uh that's you know i think that the idea of infinity um, it kind of means that everything is possible. Mm. Um, and it's so vast that there's a kind of, you can just be lulled. It's like a, you know, a baby in its mother's arms, right? It, it's a tiny thing in, in the vastness of an embrace. And, and I think that there's a sort of comfort in, you know, and almost, you know, whatever your a person's spiritual beliefs are, I think, you know, there's, there can be a certain comfort in, in thinking, a spiritual comfort in thinking that, that the universe is infinite, or that time is infinite, or, um, but it's the same time, you know, I can see how <laughs> I, I, I share your wife's discomfort, I think, <laughs> when I was a kid, I had the same because um, for one, I just couldn't get my mind around it. And it and it unsettled me because of that. And so I kept trying to, you know, to to grasp something that's just for, for me was impossible to grasp. But but also, you know, this idea that you can never get off the train, right? That thing that that somehow our spirits will go on forever and ever and ever. <laughs> um, you know, and that sort of makes me think of some of the, the, the Buddhist teachings about like being released from samsara or um, mm -hmm. but anyway, the, the wheel of suffering. And so I could see how for some people they just want to go to a place of quiet and and non-being. And so the idea of infinity could probably be unsettling. That's a really long and probably convoluted answer. <laughs> no, I, I love it. And the, the image of um, of the train, it's it's bringing up an image in Cormac McCarthy's new novel, which is fantastic. If you haven't read it, I would check it out. Um, the Passenger. But uh, back to your fantastic novel, Zoe. Um, Leah has a downstairs neighbor at the beginning of this novel, Essie East. And when Essie East writes a letter to Leah that arrives in a box with an urn 
full of her ashes and a check for $9,999.99. She describes a nine month period that was both the happiest and the worst time of her life. My question, Zoe, is how do these interpretations of time coexist? How can something be both the happiest time and the worst time of one's life? Mm, that's a perfect question following the infinity question, right? <laughs> um, for multiple reasons. Um, you know, so Essie, uh, during that nine months, um, she's a, she, she lives in an artist colony um, and she kind of bonds with four other women. So there's a group of five and um, they decide, one of them proposes that they form a coven um, because they want to basically access their truest essence, their deepest, like, you know, connection to the duende and to create their truest art. And so, um, you know, and, and Essie's like, oh, you, you mean a witch? Like, no, thank you. <laughs> but they ultimately, I won't give it away how it happens at that, in that moment, but um, ultimately they do decide to form the coven and, um, and Essie falls in love with one of the women. Um, one of the other artists and um she's never been in love she's she's dated lots of women and you know um but it's all been you know take them take them to bed and say goodbye the next morning and that's you know she lost her own mother when she was young um and so i guess you could say she's got some intimacy <laughs> issues but um this woman claire changes everything for her and she falls in love and um and then she completely uh, fucks it up. Can I swear? Yes, you sure can. <laughs> she messes it up. Um, but really she fucks it up. And um, so it's both. It's both the happiest. There's, you know, you know, things turn back, you know, turn in that month for her, I guess. And yeah. Mm, yeah, for sure. Thank you, Zoe. Um, finally, and listeners, we have barely grazed the surface of this fantastic novel that I know you are all going to love. But finally, Zoe, this question kind of brings us back in a way to South Carolina. And it's a question about human psychology. Um, I'm not sure yet when this episode will be published, but as we sit here recording, we just went through a midterm election in the United States of America. Some of the results are not even known to us yet. Um, and Rita, times like these, elections, uh, etc., can highlight that there is a lot of hate in this world, uh, specifically in this country, um, the USA in 2022, um, and the entire history of our country, really. But one of your characters states, quote, a lot of times people just hate themselves and need someone to blame it on, end quote. Zoe, can you unpack this statement for us both as it pertains to your novel and to the world outside of your novel? Hmm. I, I can do it with a novel, though I'm so sad about the state of the world and the state of this country and the hatred. It's, it, um, it'll be a very quick way to get me to start crying. <laughs> Um, it, you know, I, I just, I, the divisiveness and the intolerance is, um, I just never thought I'd see, see a day like this and see, I'm getting upset. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, 
uh, quick digress digression. I grew up, um, my grandparents had an apartment house in Queens and my grandparents lived all over the world and um, spoke lots of languages. And they regularly had their neighbors who were also of all, you know, colors and ethnicities from all over the world come over and they would play cards and they would argue about politics and they would raise their voices and they would get passionate. And then they would kiss each other goodbye and say, I'll see you tomorrow. And they listened to each other. And that's, that's the model, you know, that I grew up witnessing, which is that we can all coexist and we can all have differences of opinions. And there was no sense of the other um, in, in the way that there is today. And um, so I, I don't think that I could even begin to unpack that except to say that, um, you know, we just, I, I wish that we could all, we could all be more tolerant and loving and, and more willing to listen to each other. Um, but um, in terms of the, the novel, <laughs> <laughs> um, th this is um, said during a, a moment when uh, somebody is trying to dunk the bearded lady and um, he's calling her a bunch of names and Leah is observing this and she's very distraught and, you know, and she's she's egging him on. She's heckling him. Right. Because she wants him to keep spending his money on the chance to dunk her. Um, and, and so Leah is just trying to figure out how how people can be so mean to each other like what you know and and that that was uh, her name is her sweet and um mm -hmm. that's her explanation to leah is you know sometimes you know and i think that i think there is a lot of self-hatred in in the world and you know um and i don't think that w people are grappling with with that or with you know and i you know i, I could go on but i'll stop there <laughs> i have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this <laughs> Understood. Thank you so much, Zoe. And thank you for writing this magnificent novel that I know our listeners are going to enjoy uh, and love. Listeners, I have been speaking with Rita Zoe Chin, author of The Strange Inheritance of Leah Fern, which is published by our friends at Melville House Publishing. Zoe, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jason, for having me and for your wonderful questions. Once again, I would like to thank Rita Zoe Chen for joining me. Copies of The Strange Inheritance of Leah Fern can be ordered at www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.